Hello, friends. This is Nathan Powell. I co-host a brand new podcast called Dynasty Double Take with Dan Senio. We join the DLF family of podcasts with unique Dynasty arguments in a short 10 to 12 minute format. Dan and I love to debate Dynasty, and we hope you enjoy our banter as we discuss topics like trade offers, coaching, draft capital, and much, much more. Your Matt Wal- Jake, we have Matt Waldman on our podcast. I know, it's pretty Back to Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard. You can find me on Twitter at PA Howdy. I'm here with Jake Anderson at Jake Anderson FF on Twitter now. Jake, I can't believe you got that right. I was I, I was amazed. I'm very impressed with your with your ability to remember that I changed my Twitter handle, and I may have not even caught it if you didn't just say it there. Not just a hat rack, my friend. Occasionally, I store useful information <laughs> like how to get in touch with the person I need to get in touch with. Um, we. <laughs> We also have a guest here today, which doesn't seem like a big enough title for it. We have Matt Warman joining us because Jake is obsessed with uh, people. He likes people. It's weird. And so uh, he talks to people and asks them if he can keep talking to them. And they say yes, because he's fun to talk to. I don't have any of those problems. But still, Matt is one of those people. And he graciously agreed to come on with us. Um, Matt, how are you doing today? It's it's a, I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to join you guys and... This sounds like a fun concept, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks thanks a lot for saying that uh, and for coming on. I was a little blown away when Jake told me. So um, yeah, I don't really know what else to say about that. I think uh, it's it's really nice of you to come on for us, where we're just starting out and everything. And um, hopefully it'll be uh, if not enjoyable, at least bearable for you. <laughs> so <laughs> I, think um, we're, I think we're gonna have fun, Jake. Do you want to start us off with who we're going to talk about, and then after we talk about him, Matt's going to correct us and tell us what we should actually think. I think that's our our plan for tonight. Sure. Yeah, we're going to talk about a relatively polarizing prospect, whether you're talking about Dynasty. I mean, this is a Dynasty-focused podcast, but we also talk on redraft, and the closer the season gets, we certainly tend to steer that way of a redraft mindset. So we're really fixated on this year. Uh, Joe Mixon... Man, I, I have a little bit of a man crush on Joe Mixon. He was he was my RB one last year in in last year's class, and that's primarily based on a traits standpoint. Uh, this is a guy that has basically everything you're looking for, at least in doses. He's got a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde to his game, to the point where it is a little bit disconcerting. It's funny because I think the the comp that gets thrown around a lot is Le'Veon Bell because he does show some of the patience in the backfield. And the receiving chops are exceptional. Uh, But it is funny, especially last year in his rookie season, you saw some times where he was too patient. And then there was times where he wasn't patient enough. And there are some times where his vision is extremely good. And then his vision seems to be lacking by a good amount. So he's got a lot of ups and downs. He's kind of like a roller coaster prospect. But as far as a traits standpoint, he's he's kind of how you draw up a running back to be in this NFL. Whereas his explosiveness is very good. His speed score is very good coming out of college. His lateral agility and to be able to 
sink his hips and and cut is phenomenal. Uh, so his lateral agility is very good. His explosiveness is very good. And then his, I think his trump card is how comfortable he is as a receiver going out of the slot, you know, lining up outside, running routes and being just really exceptional in that regard. The, the question I have for his ceiling is, can he produce as a running back? And I think he shows flashes of that ability. And he is, uh, what is he, 228 pounds or so. And I, I know he came in last year. I think he came in like 14 pounds overweight last season. And I think that showed up on his tape a little bit. He runs maybe a little bit lighter than you would like a player for his size. I think he lowers his pads. I think his pad level is really good. Could you like uh, slow down and for a non-tape person, like I think you've got a novel written on Nixon over there, but like... um. Could you give me like some comparisons? Who? What am I seeing? What am I seeing when I'm seeing low pad levels or bad contact balance? Like um, someone that's been in the NFL long enough. Like, is there a good comparison where I probably watched him just because I watch games? Well, I I've always thought that he looks like where he looked. He can you can tell that he resembles his game or tries to take after Le'Veon uh, as far as I talked about his patience in the backfield. I don't okay. know really. I don't really know how to um, describe his pad level other than basically when you're looking for pad level, you're looking for the player to lower his his height and basically bend from the waist to be able to take on to oncoming defenders and then what was the other question there no that was pretty much it a comparison and what does it actually look like like um uh just from someone that doesn't watch film i mean that all sounds more overwhelming um for me because i i don't know i don't have a point of reference for most of that as you know you're having to slow things down and dumb them down uh, for a poor nerd something that i have heard though is that Le'Veon bell's patient is good based on his offensive line might be one way of describing it or the system isn't being patient a bad thing in the wrong situation is he patient i guess what i'm asking is joe mixon patient like Le'Veon bell when necessary or is joe mixon patient and it could get him in trouble i think i think that's a great point and i think there's been a lot of topics discussed where if levion was in a different system and maybe his offensive line wasn't as good be able to maintain blocks his patience would be almost a detriment at times and that's what i talked about with mixon and his patience and a little bit of that jekyll and hyde where sometimes he's too patient and sometimes he's not patient enough and i think that comes with some with some maturity there but i think i think it can get you in trouble but i think part of why i'm excited about joe mixon is is cincinnati had the worst run it rush attack they've had in I, th- I believe over a decade as far as efficiency goes and, and production and they drafted Billy Price in the first round which I really liked as a center and they traded for Cordy Glenn from the Buffalo Bills who is a solid tackle so I think they're due for positive regression there so I'm hoping that he can take better advantage this year. Yeah, and when I hear regression, you you should know that the way I hear it is it's meant to be a return to uh, an average that has been well established. Where offensive lines change so much, I'm I'm worried. I'm always worried when we start projecting whether offensive lines are going to be better or worse. Yeah, with Mixon, I'm not going to argue about most of the prospect stuff. His sight, weight, size, weight, height, um, his pass catching ability. Uh, that's all good. Um, he carried the ball something like yeah in college he, he did carry the ball 20 percent of times uh in rushing attempts in his 19th year 33 percent um age 20. the thing that worries me in terms of his production uh is that he's entering his second year and i think i'm gonna make your hair set on fire much like i <laughs> did with derek henry last week 
um, in that he's in his second year. The most likely year that a running back breaks out into the top 12 or for 1,000 yards or even for 800 yards is their first year. We know more about running backs quicker. Um, something like 33 to 35%, depending on which break, breakout threshold you're talking about, happen in their first year. Now, the second year is still a fine breakout year. Something like 20 to 25% of running backs who break out for any given threshold do it in their second year. It just gets increasingly less likely that you break out the longer you are in a career. So the fact he hits all the marks is good. The fact he's in his second year isn't bad, but it means it's more concerning to me. And it doesn't hurt that I'm an exceptionally huge fan of Giovanni Bianca. Bernard, <laughs> Giovanni for life founder and only member, I think, but still, um, and I think the fact he's there, I don't just think it's a matter of throttling his production. I think Joe Mixon was unable to overcome the Jeremy Hill and Giovanni Bernard show last year, and running backs uh, like wide receivers and tight ends and all, they earn not only their production, they also earn their opportunity, um, and they own their opportunity. So not owning, not earning that opportunity in year one, the most likely year, the most common year that running backs do it, I think is a bigger red flag for me than most people. Do you want to, you know, run around in circles with your hair on fire about that and for a little while? or No, I mean, I think, and I, I had a little bit of a Twitter beef with our good friend Zach Reed uh, from the Dynasty Dummies this week about Giovanni Bernard. And, and the thing is, I like Giovanni Bernard a lot. I think he's a very good player. But it, when it comes to a, a skill standpoint, I, I really don't think that Giovanni Bernard is in the same class as Joe Mixon from a receiving standpoint. Uh, Zach pointed out that he's had over 40 receptions in basically every year that he's played football, dating back to North Carolina. But I think Joe Mixon is special in that regard. I, I think he runs really good routes and the amount of separation he creates. I think he could actually play wide receiver in the league, similar to Le'Veon Bell. And that's going back to that comparison where Le'Veon gets split out wide and in the slot and usually utilized all over the field, where I think you can actually use both of Giovanni Bernard and Joe Mixon at the same time, where Joe Mixon is actually the guy that they're using as a wide receiver and Gio's out of the backfield. Yeah, I just um, think that's too much hope. That's too, that's saying this guy who's already been a productive NFL running back receiver is suddenly going to succumb to another guy because you want him to. I, no, I just, it's not because I, I want him to. It's because I think his skills are a lot Well, if it's, if it's not because you want him to, you have to come with something better than I like what I saw as a receiver because I can, you know, put numbers up on Geo. Here's how good he is, and he's really good at playing a receiver. And just to throw it out there, he actually – Receive more of his team's college rushing share than Mixon ever did in college. Yeah, but at the age of 19. So he's been a larger workhorse at the college level. We want to take it back to prospect. Well, you want to break you it know? down for Giovanni Bernard actually killing it as a rushing prospect. <laughs> Joe Mixon had to share the backfield with Samaji Pirine, who had, I think, I think might still hold the title for most rushing yards in a game. He was a not a slouch in his own regard. So if you want to break it down from uh, how much production that they're going to get, how much market share they're going to get from a rushing standpoint. I think it's, I, th I think having another running back that was selected in the top three rounds last year as a big part of that. That's a really fair point, a really good point. But the problem is it's, all, it's also something I've started putting on the negative side of Mixon. He couldn't outdo Samaje P. Ryan to earn the majority of shares, you know, the epic NFL level back that is Samaje P. Ryan. 
that's more worrying to me after seeing them both for a year in the NFL. All right, guys, I forgot to do it on the show again, but we have to cut away for our promo code. It's just about to run out, so listen up for the discount code to get uh, some money off a subscription to The Quant Edge. DFS players and sport bettors, listen up. No more getting crushed by the pros. With thequantedge.com, you will have the tools you need to play like a pro. With a lineup optimizer, an injury tool, wide receiver cornerback matchups, and a head-to-head tool, you'll be armed with everything you need to win. Make up to 150 lineups in seconds, get a true understanding of players' value, see the week's matchups to exploit, and compare two players to help you make the hard decisions you are on the fence about at thequantedge.com. It doesn't stop with groundbreaking tools. With 10 industry experts on staff, you also get exclusive access to over 20 betting and fantasy articles and podcasts a week, and you can join the TQE community by participating in the premium membership chat. We at Dynasty Crossroads have a special deal for our loyal listeners. Using promo code CROSSROADS, you get 10% off the season-long subscription, but you have to act fast. This deal only lasts until August 31st. Go to thequanedge.com to sign up today. Okay, guys, thanks for checking it out. Um, we get right back to the show where Jake makes the best call either of us did all night. I hope that Matt is chomping at the bit because I know we've been rambling for a little bit. I'd like to bring Matt on just to basically tell us what his uh, viewpoints are on Joe Max, Joe Mixon as a prospect and maybe what he saw last year and then maybe what your kind of prediction is for this upcoming year and years to come. Sure. You know, um, Joe Mixon was certainly a very talented prospect coming out of Oklahoma and you can see a lot of that and what you mentioned makes a lot of sense. To give you some other players to compare him to, um, Peter, in terms of a range of comparisons, um, you know, obviously the Le'Veon Bell footwork is very similar in that regard in terms that he's willing to wait behind the line of scrimmage for blocks to form and then show that good stop start quickness to be able to get through those creases. And because he has such good stop start quickness, it's very similar to what Le'Veon Bell had. Now, at the same time, I will add that Le'Veon Bell, before he lost that weight, even though he had a poor yards per carry average with Pittsburgh in his initial year at Michigan State, he showed a lot of that stop-start quickness and agility, even as a 230-pound-plus back. Um, So that was there in his game. Last year, the, the first year with Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh suffered injuries to numerous players along their offensive line. So he was operating essentially with a backup line that had no cohesion and not a lot of experience. And then he lost the weight and he gained a little bit more quickness, but that was already there. And I think that's a fallacy that a lot of people kind of perpetuate as a narrative with him is that he wasn't, he wasn't quick and he was super quick for his size. I mean, he was, his quickness, when you look at his combine scores were on the level of Javid Best and Ahmad Bradshaw who were backs who were like 30, 40, 50 pounds lighter than, um, lighter than he was right. um, at the time that he was studying. So you've got that. Then you look at pad level and, you know, a guy who I don't know if you watched him back in the day, but Edger and James is probably one of the best backs ever in terms of pad level, in terms of understanding how to get under defenders in short yardage situations so that when he hits someone, he knows actually he knew how to gauge two ways. When he hits someone either – to be able to ride over the top of the person from the contact or to submarine under them and, and kind of work through them. And you see elements of that in his game. It needs to be a little bit more refined. And part of that is, as Jake said, is keeping your head up a little bit more so that when you when you bring over your pads and you hit someone, 
you actually kind of fall forward. Um, Tevin Coleman's a good example of a guy that when his when he hits somebody, his head goes down and he immediately drops to the ground because that's just a an aspect of biomechanics that happens is when you bring your head down, that happens. So he's got a little bit of Edron James to his game, especially with that stop-start quality. He's also very good with the jump cuts to be able to, to come to a full stop and then be able to bounce outside, and that's what's helpful with him there. And you can even add Matt Forte to that list and even Eddie George a little bit because they have they um, he also has that kind of gliding style where he can be a long strider but has some skill at being able to bury his stride um, in order to set up blocks. Now, when we talk about patience, one of the things about that is that Patience is really a function of vision within the offensive line. And I always look at vision as, as really decision-making based on down and distance, based on also how you're reading the blocking scheme and understanding the blocking scheme, and as well as how you're reading defenders who are reacting to that blocking scheme. And so when you put all those things together, one of the things is, is that there are two basic types of blocking schemes that are used most of, in football. You have zone schemes, which is kind of more of a multiple choice type of scheme where you have basically three options on any given zone play to either bounce it outside, cut it, cut it back, or to hit it right where the, the it was intended to go from the beginning. And then with gap schemes, you have more of one where you're following a pulling blocker and it's more like fill in the blank where it's like you need to hit exactly where that is and do a little bit of manipulation. And when you look at his game, at, at Joe Mixon's game, He's a better zone runner, and a lot of that does lend to the fact of that he likes to be able to, to wait for blocks to set up and see those variety of options, and he takes advantage of his quickness well. So when he reads the helmets in terms on the side of where the blocker is, he knows to go in that opposite direction of that, and he can see that well enough and react to it. But when he's asked to do more work as a gap runner, there are times where he can wait a little too long or try to get a little too cute with the play because he's not thinking about on a gap play, you need to hit that hard and and really just kind of get through the line and run through a wrap or a reach um, and just kind of take what's there because everything's fortified to hit that crease. And sometimes you can you, he can even get a little too patient with those and get a little too cute with it where he's he just doesn't understand the timing of how to, to match that up. So when you look at it from that respect, you look at his game and say the Cincinnati Bengals and their blocking, you know, they struggled so much that there's a lot of issues that that were ensued that ensued from what I watched where he didn't always know when to be patient with certain with certain types of blocking. He also was adjusting to the fact that he's dealing with faster athletes on defense more savvy athletes on defense in terms of knowing how to process run plays. Cause I mean, you know, Joe Mixon against Texas tech, for instance, there's going to be a safety who's maybe in his first year coming out of high school or his second year who still doesn't understand the difference between blocking schemes. Cause there are guys who are in the NFL who don't understand those differences. Um, you know, even at the running back position, um, you know, a good example of that is I did a critique on, um, CJ Procise when he was in in um, at Notre Dame, and I mentioned that he that he needed to learn how to become a better gap runner, and explained showed why on film. And his brother actually reached out to me and said that CJ showed his tape to the um, Notre Dame running back coach, and the running back coach agreed completely with him and asked me if I could help him locate a trainer. 
Um, so, and I did, um, but, and, the, and that trainer is, has been on my side explaining the differences between these two schemes and how they're opposite styles of running. So it can be confusing, not only for the runner, but it can also be confusing for the defenders who are the, you know, who are, you know, trying to attack those schemes and understanding maybe when they can take chances and when they can't. And so in the, in the NFL, when you have more seasoned guys who are good at being able to, um, you know, really anticipate a little bit better as a running back, you have to learn how to read that a little bit more. So it's an added level of adjustment and acclimation that he's dealing with there. So there's part of that was the issue. Part of it is obviously if you're playing at a weight much greater than what you usually played at, you could probably even understand how maybe there's a little more of a fatigue factor, maybe how the pad level went down a little bit too low because of the fact that maybe the legs are a little bit more tired than what they would be um, if you're in absolutely great shape. Um, and then the fumbles to me were always an issue with him in college. He was a little bit below average, and at least in the way that I rated players, um, for with his ball security but this year i believe he only had three fumbles out of about 300 touches which isn't great but it was acceptable enough especially for a rookie year for him to get better so my concerns also are the offensive line um you know whether or not that's going to gel and there will be cohesion because we have no proof that that's going to happen even if the guys are promising draft prospects um i'm still worried about pass protection Giovanni Bernard is a better pass protector. He's more savvy at, at, in terms of he's savvier in terms of being able to um, read different types of um, blitzes and understand and make adjustments with the, the pass pro plans that that the, that he has to work with with the offensive line. Whereas Mixon still has some inexperience with that and struggled a little bit at the college game with that and. I have to disagree with my man, Jake. I think that Giovanni Bernard is actually as good, if not better, of a receiver. While I like Joe Mixon as a receiver very much, and he's very good at being able to um, you know, run the wheel route and the screen passes, and he catches the ball with his hand, hands very well, Giovanni Bernard was a special receiver in college who could make plays in tight coverage like this and be able to you know, take hits and catch the ball over his – over his shoulders, as well as being able to work through traffic adeptly as a screen receiver. Um, and I think that when you look at what he does to set up space as a receiver, I, I wish, I mean, I really wish that at some point when the Bengals go away from Giovanni Bernard completely, that it's, I think a team like the New England Patriots, if they, if Sony Michelle can't stay healthy, they'll look at Sony, they'll look at Giovanni Bernard and say, James, who? in terms of James White or anybody else, because I, I just, honestly, if I could pick a back, I'm, I'm a huge Giovanni Bernard fan, just like P Peter. I mean, if I could pick a back um, that's a veteran who's probably a little underappreciated in this league, he would probably be in my top three um, because of his, his patience, his balance, his change of direction, his understanding of, of the game in terms of pass protection and receiving. Um, but the thing is, is that, you're not going to get the breakaway plays at the rate that, or I won't say the rate, the likelihood that you're going to get breakaway plays for Joe Mixon is probably going to be higher based on his athletic ability and his ability to break tackles 
and his his acceleration and speed. Bernard is obviously not bad in that respect, and he's going to get you chunks of yards. And I honestly think that he does a better job in more difficult situations to get bigger gains. You know, you look at draft capital in the way that the NFL does, and they're naturally biased towards, well, we paid him first round money and we're, we're he's younger and we've invested in him. And we believe that he's going to develop into the player we need, which means get him on the field more, use him more often. Bernard's older, he's been injured, and you know odds are more likely that he's not going to continue to play at the same high level sooner than later. So let's go ahead and get that seasoning from Mr. Mixon. So I like the promise. I like the athletic ability. And to, to end this long rant about, about, the, about them, I'll just say that um, I'm still – he's in my top 15 of running backs this year for fantasy and maybe, you know, for this year. But he's, in, he's probably more in that 10 to 15 range for me and closer to the 15 range because I just have to wait and see about that offensive line before I can tell you anything more. That's, that's great. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> I understand it where our format's just, let's talk about this one player and we spend so much time thinking about him that it happens to me and Jake, you get to talking and you're just like, oh, I have seven other things I would, I would love to say about this player. And you just end up talking for 20 minutes while Jake stares at you angrily. Well, not you, but that's normally what happens to me. <laughs> so, um, no, I completely understand it. Lots of stuff in there that I want to talk about. I think the best argument that Jake didn't make when I asked uh, about the second-year problem with Joe Mixon, the fact that the only thing, all lots of, let's just say everything you guys are saying about him is true from a tape standpoint year one as well. So the only thing that's changed is that reduction in breakout rate by the time you get to year two. And that makes him more of a risk in my, just in the way I look at the position as a whole. Sure. But that first round draft capital is just a great counter to that. It's just, first round draft capital doesn't mean talent to me. What it means is opportunity. Yep. And they, they're going to they're gonna try and feed it. Even the, even the Bengals who have had a mixed history in their ability to identify this, this necessity of doing exactly that i think even there you can see that there's that need for opportunity for the player looking at another stat i usually mention for running backs it's michael zingoni at fs zinga he's done those um percentage of runs at different yards gained which is a really interesting way to break down yards per carry which is useless in and of itself but really good if you break it down this way joe mixon was actually over average at runs that went for minus five yards and above average at runs that went for plus five yards. Outside of that, he was mostly league average in terms of the percentage of his runs that went for different different yards gained. That, to me, accounts as, I think we're overly harsh about offensive lines. They're these essential things we've just become aware can make or break offenses, or in the fantasy it feels like we've just become aware of how vital they are. But there are plenty of running backs to get into the top 24 in their rookie year or any other year with offensive lines that rank badly. For me, it's just better to pull back a bit and say there are lots of running backs who have been in this situation some produce, some don't. And to me, that's the best way of measuring if the running back is talented. Traits, I agree with all the traits that you guys are listing. But what I was going to ask you two very intelligent fellows and um, who have seen these traits, uh, do you not see them in running backs that don't fire? So why are we making comparisons to very successful running backs like Le'Veon Bell instead of those others who didn't hit despite having some of those traits? To me, it's again, it's a hope thing. We hope for Joe Mixon. And the opportunity sounds great because he was a first well, was he a first round pick or a second? Second. Second. Still, okay. it's, a, it's enough. It's enough. Yeah. It's, it's enough can, that can... they probably want to give him opportunity. I'll, 
I can answer a few of those questions. I mean, I think one is that I think where we probably disagree is about the very because there's so many variables you tend to want to pull back. I would want to encourage people to actually dig deeper, especially into the offensive line, because of the fact that offensive line ratings generally suck. I mean, you know, they they don't know they're still working on it. And it's something that is there's a lot of opportunity there to continue to try and dig deeper. And part of that, I think, is also understanding um, how the scheme and the blocking schemes work. A lot of times I see analysis where you'll see some stats where it's like, okay, um, they're measuring the direction of the run, but they're not accounting for the actual um, the, the actual design of the play. So if a run is supposed to be an outside zone run, but they're measuring it as an inside run because the back went inside, then they're completely misunderstanding the actual fundamental root of that play. And if you have a stat service doing that, then you have someone who's otherwise a very intelligent analyst who's looking at stats saying, this back can't run outside or he can't run inside. And the stat service I'm using supports that, but the stat service they're using actually doesn't get it because they don't understand what it is that they're looking at. So, you know, that, that makes the analyst look faulty in that level because, again, it's still a new area. And so it's fun to see these types of things being developed and people looking at it and wanting to study it, but it just needs to continue to be refined. And it's a lot of work though, unfortunately, but the difference is, and when you ask your second question is, you know, we look at a back and say, well, weren't there other backs that had all these, you know, traits? Yeah, absolutely. But the, you know, Bishop Sankey is a great example of a player who had all those traits. Um, and he was a player. I mean, I, I'll t- I didn't like him at all, but I mean, when you look, but the reason is, is that, when you look at the difference between Bishop Sankey and the difference between Joe Mixon or the difference between C.J. Spiller and LaShawn McCoy or different backs like that who all had the high-end traits is that it does come down to reading blocks and understanding that. And so it comes down to understanding that. I mean, a good example of that is Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake is very flashy and he makes a lot of big plays. But if you watch him in certain plays, what will happen is he'll, you know, if, if a safety's coming down from five yards away and running fast at him and he's about to reach that crease, he still has enough time to make an audacious, you know, two footed stop, jump cut, and bounce outside and make a big play. And everybody will, you know, even the film guys will get up there and rave about Kenyon Drake's agility. And that's great. But then go watch him on some other tape where he tries to do that because there's penetration up the middle by a lineman and he's dealing with a guard that's basically to getting pushed towards him and he still makes the same jump cut, but this time his head hits the ass of the defender and he ends up knocked on the ground and looks like he's been knocked out by an uppercut. Jake, uh, say things. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm just trying to process all the information that has been said and, and, a lot of this makes sense to me, and and I've said it before in the past where if I have a flaw in my evaluation, I definitely get caught up in upside and, and traits, and and that could be what's happening with Joe Mixon. I, and I think you mentioned this, Peter, where it is a projection, and, and maybe there is some hope behind it. For for me, I love trying to find guys that are going to be have a chance to be extremely special, and you've called me out on that before. And if they're not special, I might discount their – uh, value a little bit um, and and not being special is sometimes fine for player values and doesn't mean they're not a good player doesn't mean they're not going to produce and they're probably a lot safer doesn't mean they're <laughs> they're probably a lot safer than some of the players that I tend to um, 
get stuck on. So um, this makes a lot of sense for me as far as hearing uh, Matt talk about Giovanni Bernard and Joe Mixon and how Giovanni Bernard is is probably a more refined player as far as maximizing his skill set to be productive where I see Mixon and I say, well, what if everything clicks with Joe Mixon? What if, what if his vision does improve a little bit? What if his contact balance does get a little bit better? If all those things click, we could be looking at the RB one in dynasty and, and a potential Todd Gurley type of scene, top of type of, David Johnson type of season. And listen, I've, I followed Matt for, for so long. And basically Matt's always been very good at putting me in my place when I feel about a certain <laughs> way about a player. And, and Matt's basically the gold standard of when I think of certain thing about a player, I try to go research what work Matt has done on those players and really try to broaden my horizons on, on not getting caught up in certain attributes and traits. I mean, look, taking Odell Beckham in 2014 made absolutely no sense in seasonal leagues. And if you did it, you probably won't. At some point, you've got to swing for the fences. You've got to make a quote-unquote bad decision. And if Joe Mixon's that guy this year for you, I'm all for it. I'm just saying we. Sh- I just want to frame it right. You're shooting for the fences. You're not shooting for a like more likely top 12 running back. You're shooting for someone with the potential to be a top three running back, but has gotten less likely to be a top 12 running back. If that makes yeah, sense. I, comp- I completely I, agree with that. I do too. And I think it's a great point because really oftentimes it's so funny because I, you know, back in, you know, before me was Paul Charchian and then me with, and then you have Sean, Sean Siegel, is that how, how you pronounce his yeah. last name? Yeah. You know, talking about the concepts of volatile and that you want to draft more towards the middle, you know, that you can do that. To me, everyone used to always talk about that as a high-risk thing, but it's really a lower-risk thing when you look at most lineups and how it's set up. It's an ultra-conservative strategy if, yeah. if you – and when you look at it, I've always looked at it that way, but trying to convince people otherwise back in the early 2000s was a, was a more difficult task. So I often just embrace the fact that, yeah, it's high risk. Yes, it is. And then just show, then try to show them that it really wasn't so that they could, even if they weren't understanding that they were buying the argument that it was <laughs> low risk. Um, but, but the idea was, is that you, you know, with running, you know, to me in the early rounds, you're looking at running backs and, Oftentimes, people are trying to hit the bullseye with their picks. Yeah, you know, and you. Mixon is like this bullseye pick, and I'm sitting here thinking, you just need to hit the target, and not. And so, right. if you're playing conservative, just hit the target, you're fine. And if you hit enough of those targets, you're going to do well. Now, the thing is, is that I'm like you. I also like taking risks in my draft. So, <laughs> what I try to do is figure out how many risks do I want to take, and what does that mean in terms of what what's the fallout for the next picks that I'm that I'm going to be able to get? Jake, say things. Am I the only one on the line now? Did I lose anyone? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I think I want to put a cap on this. Not because I don't think we have more to say. More because Matt's time is probably valuable, unlike ours. So if we put a cap on it, then he can leave whenever he wants instead of feeling like he's being held hostage. What do you think, Jake? <laughs> Something else you want to say about who are we talking about? Joe Mixon before we get out, out of here. No, I out think we, I think we covered pretty much all the bases, and and that's and I completely agree with you guys. Where 
you have to be you have to realize that there is a low floor with Joe Mixon when you are drafting him, especially in dynasty leagues. And you are hoping that that everything hits for him. And I think probably the likelihood of him becoming in a top three running back are certainly less than him becoming you know, a lower end RB2 just because of efficiency and, and maybe Geo carves into that role. But um. Yeah, uh, the only thing I can think we didn't actually list was according to Dynasty League Football uh, DLF August ADP, he's being drafted currently as a running back 12 at pick 21. Uh, last year, he was being drafted this time in August as a running back 12 <laughs> um, at pick 27.33. And yeah, he's he's gotten the same positional value, increased overall value, and gotten more risky. And so far, he's only finished as running back thirty-two. Would you do? You, could you possibly have more to grace us with? Is the more you want to uh, add on Joe Mixon? I'll throw in a few more thank yous if you don't start talking. So. You know. <laughs> I mean, I just think to end it. I just think to end it is you just have to understand. The risk level and and I always like to think about looking at your draft plan in reverse and thinking wow. about who are some of the players that you want to be able to take and you know later on in the draft as well as maybe also look at who are the players that you know are the riskiest and like in each round. Uh, this episode shall be ever known as the episode where Matt Waldman made Jake appreciate that Giovanni Bernard is a better wide receiver and pass catcher than Joe Mixon. So shall it be titled. It won't be because Jake gets to decide the titles. Still. <laughs> I think it could be in there somewhere. <laughs> Jake and has the, a tremendous amount of humility. <laughs> he, he really does. It's sickening. Okay, guys, uh, I really, really appreciate Matt Wardman coming on our show this week. Thanks to Zach. Uh, Tassibus Hassan on Twitter for our theme song, because I always forget to say it. I've had fun as I always do, and uh, hopefully you did too. Thanks again, and I'll see you next week. Later. You're at the dynasty crossroads that film and analytics create. I think it's going well when what you're saying starts to make the sense. The dynasty crossroads that film and analytics create. It's more about how film and stats can work together. Peter crunches numbers, and Jake just grinds that tape. It's the Dynasty Crossroads where You're doing a great job at setting the bar very low. The Dynasty Crossroads where numbers are the key. Before I let Jake speak again, ever. There may not be consensus, but we'll give you... Jake, say things. Thing.